As a casting director, it's my job to make sure that we have incredible characters that not only have what I always call like the X and the Y axis, they have the talent, they have the personality, but they have that Z axis, they have the depth, they have the story. We want to find people that audiences are going to fall in love with. Welcome back to Working. I'm your host, Isaac Butler. And I'm your other host, June Thomas. And June, who's bright, sunny, friendly voice was that that we heard at the top of the show. Isaac, that was Logan Clark, who is a casting director for reality TV shows. Incredible. So why did you want to speak with Logan specifically? Well, I don't watch a lot of reality TV, to say the least, but when I watch, I watch hard. And Logan did the casting on a show that I absolutely loved. That show was called Legendary, and it ran for three seasons and was a reality competition set in the world of ball culture, as in the world of houses and voguing the ball culture shown in the movie Paris is Burning, rather than the kind of ballroom dancing you see on Dancing with Stars. That show was outrageously entertaining, but it also felt very important in the way it gave representation to a part of queer culture that is not very visible, to say the least, and is often thought of as belonging to another generation far in the past. Well, I'm going to restrain myself from shouting butch queens over and over and over (laughs) again into the microphone in honor of Paris is Burning and Ball Culture, and instead just ask, what do our Slate Plus listeners have waiting for them? Well, I will also resist noting that I am giving schoolboy realness, which one time on the street, somebody actually said to me, are you giving schoolboy realness? And I was like, oh, my God, I have never been more seen. So, yes, but uh, wait, 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 in- hold on. Hold on. <laughs> stop the show. We got to do a, a quick someone stopped you. June Thomas on the street, on the street of-, of Washington, D.C., and said, are you giving schoolboy realness? Schoolboy realness. And yes. you said, yes. That's goddamn right. <laughs> yes. My life. Yes. Anyway, Isaac, to answer your question, our Slate Plus listeners will, of course, hear something that's very special that's just for them. I asked Logan to tell me about two of the reality shows he's involved with that I was not familiar with. And I got to tell you, now all I want to do is watch those shows wall to wall. I also asked him to name his favorite reality shows. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. And if you are a Slate Plus listener, that will be waiting for you at the end of this episode. If you're not a Slate Plus listener, like, look, dude, I don't know what else to tell you. Slate Plus is awesome. You get full access behind the paywall. You get bonus full episodes of shows like Dakota Ring. You get extra segments on shows like this one. You get to feel virtuous because you're supporting everything we do right here on Working. I mean, get with the program. Go to slate.com slash working plus and subscribe to Slate Plus today. Okay. Now let's listen in to June's conversation with reality TV casting director, Logan Clark. Logan Clark, welcome to Working. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. I appreciate your time. Oh, sure. I am very excited to talk to you about your creative process today because I know you have worked in casting 
on lots of different reality shows and different kinds of reality shows. I was a huge fan of Legendary on HBO Max, so I really want to talk to you about that show. But let's begin with a bit about your background. How did you get into reality TV casting? What was your first job in this strange field? You know, it's interesting. I started off my career kind of in corporate America. I started off working um, for a major retailer, uh, their corporate offices. I also knew I wanted more. And so leaving um, Pennsylvania and heading for Los Angeles and working on American Idol and, and Dancing with the Stars was just a dream come true. Those are shows I grew up with. I just was, you know, I, I, just like anybody, like I came out here and I started off as a production assistant and I made a vow to myself that I was going to be the best at anything I did. I was going to make the best copies. I was going to make the best damn coffee. <laughs> you know, I wanted people to see me and be like, oh, that guy's got something. Right. And so, you know, it was from that like tenacity and that like drive that I got offered the next job that was like a little bit higher and like then the next job. And it wasn't until I was on a show called Showtime at the Apollo that I really dove into casting. I was working a lot in the celebrity booking space. So I was working with a producer that books celebs for different projects, uh, whether it's like Lady Gaga or Katy Perry for like a musical performance. And I really enjoyed that space. And I still enjoy working with the, with the celeb side of things. But there was something about finding these, you know, untapped, undiscovered stars in Casper, Wyoming or, you know, <laughs> McKinney, Texas, or, you know, like it, it just it, there's something thrilling about that for me. Um, and so my first casting job was working on Showtime at the Apollo. And then the rest is kind of history. You know, like I, I just went from <laughs> one job to the next to the next. I decided to open the casting collective uh, January of 2020, which was the best time to start a small <laughs> business, June, let me tell you. No, sure, it, sure. Was, uh, yeah. it was actually really interesting because we, obviously the pandemic hit and so many people were affected by that and physical production had shut down. But at the same time, a lot of places wanted to start casting because you could do it remotely and we yeah. could keep things moving. And so we got really busy out of nowhere and then one job led to the next, to the next. And then now we've done, we've, we've worked with pretty much every major network, every major streamer. And it's just, it is truly as cheesy as it sounds. I've said this many times. We're in the business of making people's dreams come true. And I love that. Well, let us talk about some of these specific casting challenges, because I imagine every show has a different process. Every show has a different set of requirements and needs and what works for those shows. So you mentioned American Idol. It's a big show, not only in the sense of it being a huge hit and a very long running show at this point, but it's odd in the sense that a big part of the early episodes of a season concern themselves with the audition process. So I am curious how casting works on a show that has a very public audition process. I mean, I'm sure some people are listening to this thinking, well, isn't it just a matter of people showing up at the audition venue and the judges deciding who's going to proceed? Because that's like several weeks of the show, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, when I worked on American Idol, I was working not in the casting space, but I was working in the talent booking space. But I can tell you from doing shows of the similar vein, the audition process happens 
so much further before we see them audition on camera in front of the judges. You know, there are hundreds, if not thousands of people that turn up, that show up, that submit online, that, you know, come to open calls, um, that get invited, you know, that we, we want to see and, and we reach out to. And, and it's through that process that we work with our production company and, and the, the network to really make sure that we're curating a amazing, eclectic, diverse slate of options for audiences to fall in love with. Yeah. And that's one of the things, you know, just to talk about my role as a casting director, my job, one of my biggest jobs is to be the advocate for talent in these rooms where there is nobody that has a stake in the race for the talent per se, right? It's like we are there on behalf of the talent. We are fighting a lot of times to say, you know what? Give this guy a chance. Give this gal a chance because she's got something. He's got something. And I'll tell you that there's several shows that we have had that conversation with and they've gone on to be the stars of the show, which is like so, Uh you know, I'm knocking on wood right now because it's like the track record (laughs) is there right now. Um, but you know, we want our network partners and our production company partners to feel like they're in trusted hands. And that's why they hire us is to find talent, bring them to the table and then to get behind them. I have a perspective too. And and that's one of my biggest jobs is to, to really advocate and for uh, us to, you know, push and, and get behind people that maybe producers don't see the potential quite yet. And that's our job to really hope that they open their eyes and see what we see. Well, one of the things you just talked then about your commitment and your, you know, trying to present the talent, you know, in the case of something like American Idol, that would be, you know, a a person who wanted to, you know, to make it on the show and wanted to do well on the show, to progress on the show. But I'm curious, as a casting director, when does the job end? I mean, do you move on to another show when you have the contestants on a reality contest set? Or are you still working with the talent once they've established, OK, these are the people who are going to be, you know, working their way through if it's a reality contest, they're going to be who's going to win? You know, it's really fascinating. So I've done a lot of work with Fox in particular. Um, and so I... I not only, you know, I'm a casting director, but I also co-executive produce a lot of shows. Um, and, and so as a casting director, it's my job to make sure that we have incredible characters that not only have what I always call like the X and the Y axis. They have the talent. They have the personality. But they have that Z axis. They have the depth. They have the story. They have something that audiences are going to hook into. That is mm-hmm. very important to not only me but to, you know – producers networks it, for the show yeah. it's it's to the audience to yeah. the audience yeah exactly we want to find people that audiences are going to fall in love with and so that's one part of it and then as a casting director you know your job isn't really done once you've delivered the cast you have to make sure you know and you're you're always kind of like playing host to it all too you know they've got questions you're the voice from day one so then they go back to you uh they have questions about you know, promotions and, and, you know, payments and all of that kind of stuff, all of the logistics stuff that goes into, you know, having these shows come to life are also kind of on our radar. But really this, and I always remind our staff this, and, and I've been so lucky to work with a lot of the same people for years now, but this is more than just creating a moment for television. This is about creating a life experience for the people that are coming on board. Yeah, yeah. 
it's a once in a lifetime opportunity for a lot of people. And so for me, I really want to make sure that the experience from beginning to end is poetic, is, you know, exciting and um, something that they'll never forget. Have you ever worked with people, talent on more than one show? Because I swear, it's a funny feeling. Sometimes I don't watch a lot of reality shows, but sometimes I'll be watching something and I'll be like, I know that person. Mm-hmm. I've seen them on another show. Like, have you had that kind of experience with people that you've casted? You know, I, I'm trying to think of any in particular that stand out to me. And, um, you know, for Legendary Season 1, we had a, f- a particular episode in which we had um, the creative called for, like, supervillains. And so we had some people who, who came in just for that episode. And then we saw in Season 2, those supervillains who just came in for that episode came back to Legendary, but as part of a house. And so, Uh you know, that was an opportunity for us to see uh, a character come from Season 1 to Season 2. There's a bit of connective tissue there. Um, We definitely, you know, there's some people that we meet and we're like, this guy or this girl, this person needs to be on TV. We need to find something for them. <laughs> so maybe they'll be within yeah. our ecosystem at the casting collective and yeah. we'll be like, okay, let's put them on this short list and on this you know, bulletin board, if you will, um, and wait for the right opportunity to come in and present it to them. Because you know, sometimes we'll find an incredible star and it's like, you are so perfect for something else. You know? and, and, yeah. and that's yeah. the joy in, in doing what we do. And to your point, across multiple shows is that yeah. we we aren't kind of handcuffed to one project or one network or one production company. Um, mm-hmm. We are so fortunate to work with so many. So it's a real pleasure to find the right fit for people as well. We'll be back with more of June's interview with Logan Clark after this. Hey, listeners, Isaac Butler here. Hope you're enjoying the show. Uh, I just want to say real quick, as you know, the holiday season is upon us. Hanukkah's right around the corner. Christmas is right after that. There's probably some other holidays, too. And the Slate Shop is the perfect place to take the guesswork out of your gift list. Browse our selection of things like hand-poured candles, classy cocktail kits, stunning stationery, expertly crafted pasta makers, and everything in between. Look, the shop's open all the time, but we have a special deal for you. If you happen to be listening to this before the end of Cyber Monday, well, we're offering 30% off all items in the store. Get your gift set, stocking stuffers, white elephant gifts, little things you leave under the menorah, and a treat for yourself while you're at it by going to slate.com slash shop. That's slate.com slash shop. We have a special deal running for about 24 hours after this airs, uh, but you can also go to the shop any other time and get lots of great stuff. Thank you so much for listening. Happy holidays and happy show shopping at slate.com slash shop. All right. Now back to June's interview with Logan Clark. When you worked on Dancing with the Stars, was that in a a casting role? It was, no. So when I worked on Dancing with the Stars, that was in uh, with the audience team. And so what we would Ah. do with that is uh, we would work with the celebrities and with the dancers to, and, you know, obviously there's 850 people at every taping. So there's a lot Mm. of logistics that go into all of that. And there is, I mean, the audience is one of the biggest characters in the room and that type of show in the ballroom. Well, one of the things that I was curious about with that show, um, 
And maybe I can just ask you this as someone who is perhaps a fan, definitely somebody who knows a lot about reality television. Um, it's not necessarily my show, but my mom loves Strictly Come Dancing, the British show that kind of started the phenomenon. And so when I go to visit her, you know, I see the show, I see how into it she is, um, how, how much it's in the newspapers. And, you know, there are shows about the show. And in the current season, there's a same-sex male couple. And it really does seem radical to have the millions of people who are watching, you know, this most really popular show, you know, seeing same-sex dancers, or you know, people of the same sex doing something as intimate as slow dancing mm -hmm. together, even though in this particular case, the I should point out that the professional dancer is not actually queer in real life. Um, and I know there have been same-sex female couples on Dancing with the Stars in the US. And I'm, I'm kind of, it just feels very important to me. Uh, and just, you know, it's a breakthrough. And I wonder, have you seen that kind of thing have an impact, uh, you know, just as someone who's generally involved in this business? Yeah, I would say, you know, for me, one of the things as a gay man, like I never really found my my community per se. I never really had like a community within the LGBT community until I got the call to do Legendary. Um, when I got the call to do Legendary, first of all, just from a, a fact standpoint, the largest trans cast ever on television, the largest black ca cast ever on television. And um, for me, I found my place within the LGBT community by way of having the complete honor and privilege of helping tell these incredible individual stories. And mm -hmm. what I realized was that I, I, I found my place and I found my, my sense of belonging through that show. And that's why for me, you know, what, what I do is, you know, I, I work, you know, in TV and casting for a living. Obviously we all worked, you know, to earn our, our wages and, and our crust, but at the same time, this is so much more to me than just a job. This is a way of life. Like I know that every project I sign up for, that I get the privilege to work on, that I have a responsibility. And that goes down to diversity and inclusivity. And, and so, you know, thinking about, you know, same sex uh, couples on, on Dancing with the Stars or thinking about, you know, uh, drag queens on broadcast television or, you know, mm -hmm. trans individuals on street. Like all of these things are so important. Mm -hmm. I think that um, it's been a huge, huge, huge uh, blessing for me to be able to present options that are welcomed with massively open arms to every single show I've worked on. There's never been a project mm -hmm. where they're like, Mm, this isn't for us, you know, like, and that's yeah. a fear of mine, right? Because I, yeah. I lead with that and I want to see the representation. I think about myself growing up and who I saw on TV and I, you know, the real world season nine, watching the real world season nine, New Orleans and seeing uh, one of the cast members named Danny and watching that when I was, I don't know, 10, 11, 12. I mean, like, I feel like that might be me. And he was a, a gay man and mm -hmm. I felt a sense of belonging and so yeah. I try to dial that in when we are casting shows to make sure that, you know, even if we, and again, this sounds so cheesy and cliche, but even if there's one kid, one person, and, and again, this isn't even, this could be a 40-something-year-old person in yeah, a small right. town. They right. feel seen, represented. It's massive. Well, 
let's talk about legendary because we can kind of been putting it off. Um, but legendary, you know, just felt very important. It was a super entertaining, very educational, you know, every educational. It could also hurt you. I remember, you know, every time I would watch it, I'd be like, I can duck walk. You know what? I cannot duck walk. It is not, it's not in my, it's not my body. It's not capable of it. Eight houses, nine balls, a hundred thousand dollars grand prize. Now they must battle until one remains. And the best house wins, bitch. But it also felt really important because it was bringing, you know, national, international attention to a part of American culture that has never got the recognition it deserves and which some people, I think, think, oh, that's over now. You know, that, that was something from mm -hmm. the 80s, the 90s, whatever. Mm -hmm. And it also involves people who are often in very vulnerable situations because of how the world treats black, trans, non-binary people. And I wonder, did you feel a need to protect the the people who were contestants in this show? I will say yes, but with an asterisk. And the asterisk is working with Scout Productions, who is one of the biggest names and one of the most um, inclusive. And, you know, they're the, they're the guys who produce Queer Eye. They produce Legendary. They produce The Hype. They produce Swedish Death Cleaner. They produce, you know, so much incredible content they were entrusted hands from the beginning. I was entrusted hands mm. from the beginning working with mm. them. However, there is a certain sense of ownership and a certain sense of, you know, responsibility. And, you know, I, I almost want to say like a, a certain sense of like making sure that they all leave the nest, uh, the casting nest in the best way yeah. possible. Right. And, and you advocate yeah. and you fight for it and you say, no, this person has to be part of the house because of X, Y, Z. There's definitely a sense of responsibility in making sure that they are looked after in that way. And then, of course, you know, it's just making sure, and this isn't necessarily with this project, but just in general, making sure that, you know, we're, we're advocating for fair wages for everybody and making sure that, you know, everyone's got a fair, you know, work environment and hotels right. are comfortable. Like all of those details that go into the process, um, that's also across our radar and making sure that we are having, again, it goes, it's a dotted line back to the experience. I don't want people to yeah. be like, Oh, we trust you. We're signing up for this. We get to the hotel and it's, you know, the cockroach motel. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's all those details, but, um, that show in particular, you know, and, and again, luckily for us, we've worked with incredible network partners and, and production company partners where I've never felt like we needed we needed to be there. We want to be there. We want to be there yeah. for everybody yeah. involved, feel supported and, and looked after. But, um, you know, we're in a really interesting time, obviously, with a lot of change in the industry um, and what's fair and what's right and what's, you know, comfortable and and also for, you know, to, to give the production companies a little bit of acknowledgement and, and to make sense to produce a show, to make sure that the show yeah. is profitable and making sure that the yeah. show, you know, is on budget. You know, we, we are yeah. also across all of those things. So it's not we only have one track mind. We have to really think 360 and, and you know, just like anything, choose our battles. Yeah. And, you know, if the show doesn't make money, it won't continue. So, yeah. Um, Again, though, I, I, I feel like I'm harping on one question, but again, mm. like legendary. It's a competition. Mm -hmm. There's going to be winners. That means somebody gets um, eliminated every week. And on every reality competition show, it seems, especially those with an audience, like there's always got to be one judge who generates the booze, you know, mm. the kind of the Simon. The Simon the, Cal, yeah. You know, whatever. <laughs> 
on Legendary that was kind of Law Roach, um, you know, like he, the one who says, comes with the harsh uh, views. How do you think you did? Be honest. I feel like the performance was the best that we could do. I feel like we did stop, give it our stop, all. Stop, stop, stop. If that's the best you can do, pack it up and go home now. Again, in a world where many of the people involved who are being judged have been treated badly by the world, you know, they don't come to the TV show to get criticized. Like, are there things you have to kind of do to, you know, just make sure that there's a good vibe and that there's a good, uh, a good situation, you know, even though it is a competition? You know, it's legendary. It was interesting because there's moments when you're like, you know, as a fan, you're watching the show and being like, come on, that's a little bit too, that's a little <laughs> tough. Yeah, yeah. But I'll tell you what, if there's any cast that can handle the shade, it's a cast from Legendary. <laughs> if right. anybody that's can right. handle it, it's those guys because they've been yeah. through the yeah. shit. They've been yes. through it all. And, you know, yeah. uh, again, thinking about story, you know, unfortunately, a lot of folks, um, you know, it's a community that that is based on a chosen family. And that's, yeah. you know, largely for a lot of folks, it's because their birth families did not accept who they were, who they are. And so they went out and found these houses to become a part of them. And so they've been through the shit, you know, they've been through yeah. it all. And so getting on stage and getting a critique about one performance, while it stings, they are yeah. the most resilient folks I have ever met in my entire life. And um, they will brush themselves off and they will come back bigger, stronger, better next week or next show or next performance, whatever it is. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's slightly protective because obviously you don't want anyone to feel um, like they're not doing their thing, but it is a competition show. Yeah. So they do know what yeah. they're signing up for, for sure. For real. But since we're talking about a queer show, Let's talk about another one, maybe more controversial, Living for the Dead, which I might shorthand as Kristen Stewart's ghost hunting show. Uh, it started airing in October. Um, it wasn't universally loved. I want to know about your involvement in that show and, and what you were looking for when you were working on casting that show. I am obsessed with this show. It is so much fun. <laughs> if you have not seen it, it is just such a fun interesting, spooky, heartfelt watch. Um, you know, it, it's our job was to find, you know, five queer-centric, paranormal-centric individuals to come together and to go on a quest, you know, almost like the, the gay Scooby-Doo. <laughs> exactly. How many people died here? I am feeling a cold chill going up my leg. <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna lie, it was kind of nice. Okay. I mean, we had thousands of people apply, especially after Kristen opened the floodgates. Thousands of people from around the world. We spoke to people in Australia, in the UK, in South Africa. I mean, we spoke to people in every pocket of the world. And we found five people that were, that are just so incredibly talented. But I also was the bullshit detector. So I met with every single, anybody that we interviewed, I also met with and got a reading from. So for about eight uh. weeks, for about six to seven hours a day, I would have <laughs> one reading after the next reading, after the next reading, after oh the next God. reading. And I will tell you, I went into it very much kind of like bipartisan, right? Like I wasn't a huge believer. I wasn't a huge skeptic, but I really lived in the middle. I was open to whatever. 
And there are some people that I was like, they're just here because they're a Kristen Stewart fan and they just want to try and get cast on the show. And there were some people that were undeniably talented and undeniably gifted and said things to me and, and brought up things that were just like nobody on the planet would know that. Oh so God. we had about, I would say about 2000 plus ish apply. We met with wow. a little over a hundred, um, on wow. zoom. And then we whittled that down to uh, 30 that we brought to LA. Uh, we brought them into LA to do a chemistry test to see who is going to vibe with who. None of these guys knew each other before the show. And so yeah. we brought them to LA. We, you know, 30 turned into 15, 15 turned into 10, 10 turned into seven and the seven turned into the five that are on Hulu streaming now. Yeah. Uh, fingers crossed season two for that show. Because again, you talked earlier, we, t- we talked earlier about representation and, you know, having a Latina woman who's trans as like the pinnacle of like the poster at bus stops and on billboards at yeah. malls and airports. I mean, that's huge. That's it's so yeah. huge and so important. And she is so talented. All, all of them are talented. Yeah. They all have so yeah. much that they're bringing to the table. And I couldn't be more proud. And honestly, it was one of those shows, again, working with Scout Productions, um, same guys who do Legendary and Queer Eye and The Hype and Swedish Death Cleaner. Like, it's, they're just so switched on as to, like, how this format can work. And so, again, it was just such a pleasure and such an honor to be a part of it. Logan Clark of the Casting Collective, thank you so much for joining us here on Working to talk about your creative process. Thank you, June. I appreciate the time. When we return, June and I will talk about the differences between casting in the worlds of scripted and reality television, exploitation and how to avoid it, and the ever-important question of representation. All that after this. June, that was so much fun. Logan is such a ray of sunshine. You can understand how he does a great job of convincing producers to cast the people he wants on these shows because like, he's just got that infectious joy. Uh, I believe that this is your second casting director interview, but your previous one was of someone who does scripted television. And I'm curious about what you see as the differences between those two jobs in those two fields, right? Like in one, you got to find the best actor for the part. Uh, in the other, you have to find a human being, you know, who has the right story they're going to tell crying into the camera or, you know, they have the right gestalt. Uh, they they have to be good at catchphrases and, and whatever it is. I mean, those actually are pretty different jobs, right? No, they totally are. But interestingly, the scripted casting director that I spoke with, Angelique Midthunder, mostly works with indigenous acting talent. And since there has been a recent boom in shows featuring First Nations people, she is often working with quote-unquote unknown actors who are looking for their first jobs. And I mention that because while there is undoubtedly a big difference in casting for these two kinds of shows, ultimately the task in both cases is to select one person from a large pool of applicants. Now, Would I rather be given a script and asked to embody a character that someone has written and invented and, you know, try to bring that person to life or get a job based on someone perceiving my soul and thinking that I personally have potential? I definitely would prefer to be an actor that feels like an actual profession. It feels like a step on a career path, but... 
I also think that whatever we think of the broad church that is reality TV, it can be a path to stardom. Now, like sports or music or pretty much any artistic pursuit, only an infinitesimally small number of people will get to walk that path and achieve success and maybe break out into plain old TV without a modifier. But given its popularity, let's definitely bring as much integrity and empathy to the process as possible. Mm. Speaking of that, uh, one thing I find really fascinating about this interview is Logan talking about the care he's trying to take with the people he casts up to a point. And I think here we should say, you know, reality TV is famously exploitative. Our contemporary reality TV boom grows out of a previous round of writer and actor strikes as a way of hedging against those unions because the actors or they're not even actors the participants the writers none of those people are unionized and then on top of that the earlier generation you know the early aughts reality tv a lot of that is just built on humiliating people american idol is a show where the for the first few weeks you were just watching people get humiliated by a, an angry brit with a napoleon complex or something you know <laughs> you can look up any number of personal essays and interviews with people who've had really awful experiences on reality shows. Now, that said, in modern times, there's been a turn in part due to shows like Queer Eye and Bake Off to a more positive, nurturing kind of environment. It seems to me like Logan is actually a bit torn on this one in that he both wants to take care of people, but he also knows if you're watching a show like Legendary, one of the reasons why you're watching it is so that a really salty judge is going to rip someone a new one. And you can't kind of avoid that. It's baked in. What, What do you make of that challenge? Yeah, I mean, that is really interesting. And I have to say that as I was listening to Logan talking about making people's dreams come true, it sure sounded to me like this industry, reality TV, had allowed Logan to make his dreams come true. So I think he truly believes that it's possible to do that. But yeah, I'm also torn. I do see some possibilities for people with talent and who can connect with audiences to get a break, which I think is what a lot of people in, you know, this broad industry are trying to get like that's that's the point of this for that for many people early in their careers or who haven't yet got where they want to go. But I also think this is a pretty mature genre at this point. Anyone who auditions for American Idol knows how the show works. They know what they're getting into. We're many, many years, decades past the days of that first season of Survivor when Richard Hatch blew everyone's mind by doing something that is now the most basic reality competition strategy. And, you know, someone who's curious about trying out for a show like that can find all those essays and interviews that you talked about. You know, I don't want to be a Pollyanna here. Certain reality TV shows, especially those that have a lot of booze on the set, are absolutely exploitative. But again, it's a broad church. The hobby shows that you mentioned that focus on people gently and cooperatively baking or woodworking or, or making pottery or shows that are theoretically at least devoted to providing positive interventions in people's lives or helping them find a new home or silly game shows involving oversized bar skittles. Those things feel very different from boozed up dating shows or contests where super rich judges make fun of poor people. 
Yes, totally. And of course, uh, casting directors are a big part of the ongoing conversation about representation that the industry uh, mm-hmm. and hopefully every other industry <laughs> is currently having. You know, Logan seems particularly dedicated to this, to making sure audiences get to see a diverse set of people. Uh, I was My mind was blown to learn that Legendary has both the largest queer and the largest black cast in television history, right? And it's worth reminding people listening to this, something you and I both know, which is, you know, the first gay kiss on network television in the United States was due to an act up action. They invaded the set of a newscast and two people kissed. It did not appear on scripted television. It was not a writer who figured that out. It was activists. Uh, And it took a long time after that for two men to kiss on, on TV in a way that was signed off on by a TV network. Anyway, how can reality (laughs) TV help people to see each other and to be seen. And is this complicated a bit by the, you know, the freak show element we were talking about earlier? Isaac, I feel like maybe I'm sounding like a spokeswoman for the reality TV lobbying industry today. And that is certainly not my intention, but I just think we have to be a little bit more precise. Scripted television is everything from The Wire to ALF or Cop Rock. Wait, wait, are you saying that ALF is not a good show? Because when I was in fourth grade, it was my favorite show. Every time I well, eat a cat, I think about how <laughs> Alf uh, really showed me how it was okay to eat cats. Oh, my God. You've just made me understand something that I didn't understand before, but that's something else. Um, no, I would never say a bad word about Alf. I'm just saying it's a little bit different from The Wire. <laughs> and similarly, reality TV encompasses truly beautiful and groundbreaking shows like Legendary, which showed the artistry and history of ball culture and centered trans people of color for their achievements. And those dating shows where attractive people are plied with booze and encouraged to do things that you would intervene to prevent if you saw them happening in a bar or a hotel cabana. So I guess in my struggling little way, I'm saying let's celebrate the good ones and keep pointing out when Shows are just the whole system is set up to push participants to do things that are unsafe and unpleasant. Like, let's not tar them all with one brush, I guess. Right, right. Just in the same way that not every TV show can be as good as ALF. Not every (laughs) reality show can uh, uh, be as inclusive and positive and everything else is legendary. True. And so I just have to ask, because I know you're such a fan of it, is Legendary one of those shows that David Zaslav shoved down a garbage disposal for a tax break, or is it still available on the app? Can we go watch it today? Isaac, what can I say? But yes, of course, it it has disappeared from Max, but it is still available for rental, and I encourage everyone to plonk down some money and watch that magnificent show. Amazing. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Thank you so much for listening. And you know what? I'm going to give you one more pitch for Slate Plus because tis the season for multiple pitches for Slate Plus, I guess. If you go to slate.com slash working plus right now, you can uh, plunk down a, a small bit of money and you'll get full access behind the paywall. You'll get bonus episodes of shows like Decoder Ring and Big Mood, Little Mood, and you'll get bonus segments on shows like this one. And you'll get to feel good knowing you support everything we do right here on Working. Once again, that is slate.com slash working plus thank you so much to our guest logan clark and to our legendary producer cameron drews we'll be back next week when tk dutis will be talking to graphic designer and typography expert gail anderson until then get back to work 